Are you ready to live your best life, be stronger, and fall in love with yourself? It's possible, and it's inside you, but you need to unlock the power within. Welcome to Fearlessly Authentic with Jody Harrison Bauer. Jody used to be afraid to take risks. It took some stepping out of her comfort zone to get her there. Along with her guests and their stories, Jody will help you to live your best life ever. Now, here's your host, Jody Harrison Bauer. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Fearlessly Authentic. I'm your host, Jody Harrison Bauer, and it's such a pleasure to have you back once again. I want to thank everybody who's been listening all over the world. I appreciate the love. So, if you could please review and rate. I would really, really appreciate it. It would mean so much to me because as you know, here on the show, my mission is to educate, empower, and inspire you with the guests that I have so you can live a fearlessly authentic life because that's what it's all about. We don't want to pretend who we are and live a life that is not authentic. So with my guests, I hope that every single week you will learn something from them so you can go on and fly about, live your life the way you want to, live the life that you desire and deserve. And today's guest is Kelly Tennant. Kelly, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm so excited to be with you, Jody. I am excited to have this conversation with you. Um, I wanted to introduce everybody to you. So I'm going to give everybody a little, little bit of information about Kelly. Kelly is the host of The Kelly Show, The Juicy Intersection of Spiritual and Sexual Liberation. She helps women break free of a lineage of toxic lies and rules. But you guys, this is just the tip of the iceberg. Uh, for somebody who is, you know, in her early 30s, I'm not going to say so young, but compared to me, so young. Um, she is wise beyond her years. Uh, she has done so much work on herself so she can help other women um, do the same work earlier. And as we discussed before we got on air, so she doesn't have to wait until she's my age. Um, to figure out how to live that life so she can be free of of people-pleasing and everything else that so many of us feel like box us in and the rules of society and so on, things that we've talked about on this show before. And uh, Kelly really um, will go into will go into great detail about her story and how she broke free and how she's helping other women. So Kelly, I wanted to start with, you know, as a youngster as a young child, or let's just go into high school and college, you were a kick-ass volleyball player. You were a scholar athlete. You went to USC. And it sounds like you were doing everything that you thought you should be doing. So tell me a little bit about that, about high school, college, and playing at USC. Yeah. I mean, you said it perfectly. I was doing everything I thought I was supposed to do and I did everything quote unquote right. I was the good girl. My parents called me perfect Kelly. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I didn't really do anything wrong. I didn't party. I was a straight A student in student council. I was a top five player in the country. Full ride scholarship offers to every school you could imagine. Cover of volleyball magazine go on to USC, co-captain the team. We go to the final four. I mean, you name it. I experienced excellence and achievement and every gold star that you could possibly get. And yet I got to this point where I was like, I am miserable. 
I don't like myself and I really don't even know who I am because that entire experience, including working in television after college and being a TV host or reporter, it was all through the lens of I need to do this to be successful and to get attention and validation and for my parents to love me. Everything was about earning love my entire life. And I don't believe that that was my parents' fault. It was very much my personality and a lot of the things that I brought into my life and lessons I needed to learn. But I just kept perpetuating this idea of, okay, you know, even if I get the full ride scholarship, I have to move on to the next thing. Now I need to be the co-captain of the team. Now I need to be at the final four. And now I need to win this and do that and be the most, you know, amazing volleyball player ever. And everyone needs to tell me how great I am in order to keep climbing that ladder to earn more love. And I just hit a wall at one point and I was just like, I can't live like this anymore. So you can see that now. But while you were going through it, did you ever stop and think, whoa, let me look at what Kelly's doing? Or were you just, you were on a roll. You were just like, you know, you're, you're athletic. I mean, you're a superstar. So you had that, that strong mentality to win. You did whatever it took to be an outstanding athlete, to be an outstanding student, to be in your mind perfect. So was there ever a point while this was happening, while this story was being played out and you were excelling in everything, did you ever step out of it and say, wait a minute, is this what I want to do? Or was it reflecting after that? The only thing that came close to that was I had committed to play at USC. Or I had committed to play at Stanford and I was 16 and I was in the shower at my house And I had a full-on breakdown, like sobbing, wondering why I had ever committed to Stanford. And I had wanted to go there my entire life. And I walked downstairs to my mom and I said, I can't go. I don't want to go. I don't even know why I'm going. She was like, what do you mean? And I said, I have to go to USC. I know that's where I'm meant to be. So I had to call the Stanford coach through blubbering tears that probably didn't even sound like English and explain to my hero, this coach, John Dunning, that I could not go and play. And he was totally understanding and amazing, thank goodness. And then I had to call the USC coach and then they had to get my scholarship from someone else so that I could go to USC and it all worked out. But that was the only moment where I really questioned things and said, hold on a second. I don't even know why I'm doing this. Everything else, I felt like a robot. And I didn't really know that at the time. All I know, all I knew then was I'm going through the motions. I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. I'm taking every single step that everyone tells me to do. And I am reaching these goals and I'm checking off the checklist and I'm making sure that I am the best in every way while at the same time running myself into the ground. Like I was so tired. Club volleyball, my entire life from 10 until 17 when I went to USC started playing in my hometown of Temecula, then moved on because I was so good. I wasn't getting better. I needed more competition on my own team so that I can improve. So I started driving to Orange County in LA three times a week. I'm driving myself to practice two hours each way, then staying up until one o'clock in the morning, writing my papers, then getting up early at 5 a.m. to go to zero period so that I could leave school early to go drive to practice again the next day. You talk about someone who was so broken down and so exhausted and had no idea what was happening. That was me. You're so driven. And that's, you know, you're talking about driving back and forth and I'm thinking, oh my goodness, you're so driven. But again, you, I mean, 
as you're telling me this story, I'm thinking to myself, did I give birth to you? Because the story sounds so familiar. <laughs> Honestly, it does. Although everything that you did, I mean, I did those things too. I was not as, you know, Kelly is six foot two. We were talking about this before we came on air and I'm not even, I'm five and a half feet tall. So I did not play basketball. I was a cheerleader. Um, but it's, it was that drive. And sometimes you forget to have fun. And at such a young age, when you were going through that, I'm sure that you didn't even think, like you said, you didn't party. You didn't do anything. It was work. It was work because you had a goal in mind. And you didn't know anything differently because that's how you were built. And you felt probably that that's what your parents expected of you and that you had to be perfect Kelly. Mm-hmm. And that's a tough, tough situation to be in. I'm the oldest of three girls. I get that. I always, I never wanted to disappoint my parents either. So I can relate to everything that you're saying, um, but maybe I I didn't do it at such a young age. So when you, what, what just a, a quick question about the Stanford versus USC. I'm curious about why did you switch, if you don't mind me asking. Yeah. So this is a funny people pleasing codependent story. Okay. I was five years old and you talk about being driven. I was this driven at five and I went to my mom and I said, what's the best school in the country? And she said, Stanford. And I said, fine, I'm going there. Wow. That was it. Wow. Okay. We're going to come back to that because I, this, this is all about a rebirth, about not being perfect for everybody, especially for ourselves, because we, we definitely, you, you did a job on yourself and you wore yourself out. So you go off to college, you go to USC because did you think you were going to have more fun there? Is it yeah, so- a combination of the two things like the volleyball and the fun versus Stanford? I don't know. Well, I remember going on a trip to Stanford when I was going through the recruiting process. And I remember being at a party. I think I was 15. And this is what you do. You go on recruiting trips and the team takes you to parties so you can like see the boys and hang out with the team. And so I'm not drinking. I'm kind of standing back and I'm watching everything happen. And I'm like, these people are really weird. They were so smart. And looking back, I'm like, well, of course, you know, they're incredibly <laughs> smart. These are the people that are changing the world and curing cancer. So yeah, they're probably going to be a little awkward at parties. They don't have the same like social abilities. But at the time at 15, I'm just thinking, this is so bizarre. I, this is not my, my people, but I still felt like I needed to go there because it was the best school. And to go to Stanford, especially as a volleyball player was a really big deal. They, they kept winning national championships. They were always in the top five in the country. And so I just kept believing that I had to go there, but I've known since I was 10 years old that I wanted to be on television. I hosted the morning announcements in sixth grade. I loved being on camera. I was really naturally good at it. And so my whole life was like leading to that moment. And when I chose Stanford, I didn't even think about the fact they don't have a broadcast program. And as much as San Francisco is great for TV, it doesn't have a lot of opportunities. And so I think that I knew in my heart that it wasn't a fit for me for so many reasons. And USC was closer to home. My parents lived in Southern California, so they were only two hours away. They could come to every one of my matches. I would have a bajillion TV networks to pick from to do internships and to work for. Um, And they had a broadcast 
department. So I could actually learn while I was in school how to host shows, how to write shows, be a producer, all of that. Um, And I loved the environment. I loved my trips to USC. I had so much fun. It felt like my people. It felt like I belonged there. So really looking back, I'm like, how did you ever pick Stanford? And it was really just because my mom told me that it was the best. It had nothing to do with anything else. Right. And everything that you did had to be the best. So that Mm -hmm. must have taken so much courage for you to tell your mom and to make that call. But afterwards, you must have felt like, whoa, I just, I, I made the right decision here. But that was hard probably for you because you wanted to be be doing the right thing to please your parents, but you finally realized at the age of 16, hey, I've this isn't right for me. And that must have been super hard. Well, and I think, I don't remember this conversation perfectly, but my mom told me this like 15 years ago. She said something like, she never really wanted me to go to Stanford. Neither of my parents did. They actually thought USC would be, better, be a better fit. But because she had said that to me when I was five, I was so stubborn and gung-ho of like, well, that's what I'm doing and that's it. No questions. But I was just so attached to that. And so they were super supportive when I made that decision, which is just so funny looking back that I thought, well, I'm going to disappoint them if I don't do this thing that they actually never really wanted for me, but they let me make the choice. Um, So yeah, it's just, it's funny the way we, especially as kids talk ourselves into things and we see things the way we want to see them. And even as adults, I hear things the way I want to hear them. I see them the way I want to see them in a way that confirms my own beliefs so that it doesn't challenge something or make me uncomfortable. It's like, this is what I think. This is what I'm hearing. This is what I'm going to do rather than thinking outside the box or asking more challenging questions around, well, why do you actually want this? I absolutely. And I think people can really learn from that. I, I went through the same thing and never stopped to really take myself out of it because I didn't want to disrupt the apple cart. I didn't want to disappoint anybody. You know, I had the right boyfriend and went to the right school and got the right job and got married to the right man who I then later divorced. But so making those decisions before you start a family or do anything that's super permanent, it's important to know that this doesn't work for me. So I'm going to stop you here for a second. Um, What would you say to somebody who's struggling with the same thing right now, being that people pleaser, being that, um, that person who pursues excellence in everything that they do and they forget like, Hey, wait a minute. What about me? Where is my fun? Where is, where am I being true to myself? What would you say to them right now to the old Kelly? Maybe. Yeah. I mean, I think first thing I would say is pay attention to the red flags. I had chronic illness for 15 years and I believe that I had a physical experience with chronic illness because I was so out of alignment and out of touch with myself because I was doing everything for everyone else, because I lived in a constant state of anxiety and stress, because I wanted to be the best. And I was so scared that I was not going to be loved if I didn't check all these boxes. And I really believe my body was trying to scream at me saying, you don't have to do this. Let's do something else. And I couldn't hear it. And it took me 15 years to finally get clarity and leave my job, leave a relationship, leave all of these beliefs behind and start asking these questions. And I think it doesn't have to manifest in chronic illness. It can be in exhaustion and stress and anxiety and lack of libido and lack of motivation. These are all things where your body is trying to telling to trying to tell you that it's had enough. And sometimes it's too much. And I think when we get to those moments, 
that's when we need to ask the questions. What am I doing that is for someone else? What am I doing that is based on a belief system or shame or expectations that I don't have to live up to? Because if I had asked myself those questions at 15 and 21, I think I would have made very different decisions. I just didn't have that awareness. That's not how I was taught to be. I was taught to listen and follow the rules and do what you're told and just keep climbing the ladder. And I think that I would tell myself to really look at the way I'm living my life and to listen to my body because my body was screaming at me from a very young age. I was suicidal at 12. I was really struggling struggling through high school. I had mono for eight months my freshman year of college. Then I was bedridden and had to give up my scholarship my after my second year at USC because I was so incredibly ill. And then I continued to be ill even after leaving college and could never figure it out until I looked at the big picture. And I'm like, nothing here is for me. It is for validation. It is to make other people happy. It is to make them comfortable. And it is to live up to their old expectations that they have of me. And if I removed all of that, I get to have what I have now, which is actual happiness and joy and doing things that I want to do and that I choose to do. And how scary was that for you? Oh, girl. It took me so long. So long. It was so scary because it's just not who I am. I just do, I've just done what I'm told my whole life. And I was so scared to disappoint my parents and leave my career and, and change my life the way I did. And I do think I disappointed them. And my TV career was very much for my mom. It was her dream job and I did it for her and she lived through me and she got to meet all the famous celebrities and I got to interview Magic Johnson and Kobe and, you know, Oral Hershiser, who was like her childhood hero and love of her life. And she got to hang out with him. Like, these are all things that I did that made her so happy. And then I just left it all and walked away and started talking about sexuality and spirituality. And I think that that was really hard for both of them, especially my mom but I had to be okay with disappointing them and making them uncomfortable because it's what I wanted. For the first time, I was choosing myself, not someone else. And I had to create boundaries and say, "This, my life is not for you. My life is for me. You made your choices. You created your life and your opportunities and your struggles. And it's not on me to fix that by living my life for you. And that was a really difficult thing to do. I wish I heard those words a long, long time ago because I lived my life until to please everybody until I was in my 40s. So I can totally relate to what you're saying. And it is very, very scary to start talking about things as you did, sexuality, sensuality, relationships, monogamy, bisexuality, everything that we're going to get into. Um and people reacted to you like, what do you, did they think you were crazy or did they realize that you're finally, did you step up? Did you have to say to your parents, Hey guys, I got to do this for myself. I'm not happy. Obviously they knew you were sick, your friends, your loved ones, they knew that you weren't feeling well and you weren't aligned. And that's so hard to explain to other people that you don't feel that alignment if they're not aligned, if they don't have that self-awareness of alignment. They look at us like we are crazy. They don't get it because they haven't done the work and they haven't done the self-awareness. They haven't noticed the red flags. And of course, you notice the red flags. You, you just talked about all of them, right? And you're like, yep, yep, not talking about it. You know, laser focus, blinders on, you know, 
making, you're making your parents proud of you. So when you said, I'm stepping out of this box, sorry, mom and dad and friends and boyfriend, whoever was in your life, what do they say to you? Well, so I came forward about a sexual assault that I had experienced with a coworker and friend. And my parents had known about that for a long time. And so it wasn't shocking to them that I wanted to get out of a really toxic, unsafe environment for myself. And so I think I I have to add that piece in because they're incredibly supportive of me not being sexually harassed and assaulted. Right. This is when you were reporter. Correct. Yeah. This was when I was working for the Lakers and the Dodgers in Los Angeles. Right. So Uh, you're like in your mid twenties somewhere. Yeah. And it happened when I was 25 and then I came forward a few years later. And so they knew that part. And that was a huge catalyst in me leaving because as I was going through that behind the scenes, my body had shut down and I was sleeping 16 hours a day. I had to go on leave from work. I could barely even get the energy to shower. And you talk about red flags. It was very obvious. I I couldn't live not only with this lie of the, this thing that had happened behind the scenes and have to, you know, talk about this person publicly, like he's just the greatest thing ever. I couldn't keep like having this double life where I have to do this and then also feel this. Um, But I think my entire world had kind of shattered at that point because nothing made sense to me that I was a part of anymore. I'm like, none of this makes sense. None of this is aligned. This is all fucked. And so I had to get really clear on, I can't live like this anymore. And there has to be something else available. And so my parents knew what was coming before it came. And I finally told them, you know, I, I have to get out. And so that's when I quit my job. And, um, you know, shortly thereafter broke up with my boyfriend and, um, just none of those things felt good anymore. None of them were working for you. Yeah. It was all making you literally sick. Yeah, literally sick. And I think that's what so many people go through and they just aren't able to correlate the two. And, So I just, I made the decision and I just moved on and I created a whole new life for myself. And I think some people thought I was crazy. A lot of people, you know, called me a liar and said horrible things about me when I came out about the assault. But beyond that, I felt like I had support from my inner circle. And at the very end of the day, I trusted myself and supported myself. And that's not something that I was able to do a couple of years prior to that. I didn't trust myself. I only trusted everyone else. I only did what everyone else told me to do. And so making that decision instilled sense, such a sense of trust in myself that I knew what was best for me, even if it seemed like I was blowing my whole life up and leaving a ton of money on the table and walking away from this thing I had worked my entire life to create. I'm like, no there is something else available for me and I have to leave this behind so that I can go out and be on that new path. Absolutely. And again, it's scary, but if you're, if you are literally physically sick, mentally sick, you need to notice those red flags and make a change in your life. And it's never, ever easy to make the change in your life. What you did, that wasn't easy. Being sick wasn't easy. Um, so, and, and one of the things that I, I've heard you say is that you outgrew the need for external validation. And I think all of those things started hitting you at that time. You're like, I don't need to, for someone to tell me I'm the hot girl. I already know. I'm not saying you said this, but I would assume that you said this. I already know I'm the hot girl. Like, I don't need for all these people to tell me that I'm hot because I know it already. I don't need to know that I'm a great volleyball player, that I'm smart. I know all this. So goodbye to all that stuff. I don't need to hear it anymore because I got it. 
And those things aren't like, they're not serving me well anymore. So how did you step out of that and start something new? Yeah. I mean, I'm so glad you bring this up because I think especially in my generation with uh, technology and social media, we have become so self-absorbed and obsessed. And at the same time, we've never been more insecure because of it. And I tell you, Jody, I, when I was in studio doing Lakers pregame and Dodger shows, I would be in the bathroom for an hour a day, at least taking selfies, trying to get the perfect lighting because the girls had done my makeup and hair. And I was in the great TV outfit and I wanted everyone to see how great I looked. And then I would sit on my phone and scroll for hours, just waiting to see all of the comments about, oh my God, your legs and you're so hot and this and that. And I thought, what am I doing that I am this obsessed with everyone telling me that I am awesome in some way when I don't even like myself? And that's when I started to look at things differently. And I had a colleague, Oral Hershizer, ask me, why are you wearing this dress? Like, what is happening? And he really took care of me like an uncle. And he is a huge reason why I left the industry because he saw me with so much value and so much beauty as a person, not as the hot chick that gets hired for TV shows. And he was trying to tell me, you have more to offer. What are you doing? Right. It's not just the way you look and your legs. And yes, those are all fabulous things. And you go, Kelly. Mm -hmm. But there's just much more to the superficiality of, of what Kelly looks like. And, you know, we, yes, we all know that she's the hot chick. And, you know, some people, this this happened to me when I was in sales, was that I just stopped putting makeup on. I wore oversized dresses. I wore flat shoes because I didn't want to be known as the hot sales rep. I wanted for them to take me seriously. And I'm not, I mean, I went to, you know, full extreme there. I'm not saying you needed to do that, but thank goodness you had somebody like that who said like, what are you doing? You do not need to do this. There's so much more depth to you that you can share with so many people, right? Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, after he said that to me, I chopped a foot off of my hair. I got rid of my entire wardrobe. I changed everything. My energy was different. I looked at myself as an entire person rather than just this thing that I got hired and paid a lot of money to talk to boys and make sure that they liked me and played their game and flirted with them. So I would get the good interview. I'm like, I'm not doing this anymore. So we're going to play this game on my terms and on my rules. And I'm not going to worry about my hair for two hours a day and pay so much attention to social media and all of this external validation, because it literally means nothing. It's, it's trash. And it's exhausting. It's it exhausting. Is. And it makes you feel more insecure rather than building up your self-esteem. I feel that that usually happens with a lot of women that don't feel good about themselves. We're waiting for the likes to come in and who's going to comment. And then that fills us up. And then that makes us feel sad. It's almost like an addiction, right? We go, 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 go. And then we feel sad inside. So we're going to take a quick break right now. Everybody stick with us. We'll be back in a few minutes with Kelly Tennant. Thank you. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. Voice America programs are now available on your favorite connected device, including Amazon, Alexa, and Google Home. Through streams with Apple Podcasts, TuneIn, and iHeartRadio, listening to your favorite show is as easy as saying the show name followed by the word podcast. Hey, Alexa. 
Play Finding Your Frequency podcast. If that doesn't work, try adding on TuneIn or on iHeartRadio or on Apple Podcasts. On Fearlessly Authentic, Jody talks about mental and physical well-being, and the key to both starts with proper nutrition. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan was created to help your body feel better. Whether your goal is to lose weight, gain muscle, or just feel lighter and more energetic, following this meal plan can help you get there. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan is a 21-day plan to help you learn the most important things about the food we eat and what foods are right for you based on your goals and activity level. The Jody Fit Jumpstart Meal Plan is a real plan for real life. This is not a diet, but a change in lifestyle. The plan is simple and easy for you to follow. In the 21-day plan, you will receive meal ideas, snack ideas, a grocery list, and a 21-day journal crucial to your success with inspirational quotes to keep you motivated and keep track of your progress. The key to success is commitment, consistency, and willpower. Be fearless and trust the journey. Go to JodyFit.com to purchase the JodyFit meal plan now and use the promo code PODCAST to get 25% off. You need to live up to your full potential. You've heard that for years, but now there's a channel to help you get there. Introducing the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Our listeners have told us that they want to be motivated, hear about success stories, and positive encouragement around the clock. And we've responded to you. The Voice America Empowerment Channel is the home of the world's top life coaches, entrepreneurs, and success experts. Listen to the Voice America Empowerment Channel. It's here at voiceamericaempowerment.com. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com You are listening to Fearlessly Authentic with Jody Harrison Bauer. We'd love to hear from you with any questions or comments you may have. Send an email to info at jodyharrisonbauer.com. That's info at jodyharrisonbauer.com. Now, back to Fearlessly Authentic. Welcome back, everybody. I am with my guest, Kelly Tennant. Kelly, welcome back. Yeah, so it was interesting. When I left TV and I, I left this entire career behind, all I knew is that I really wanted to have thoughtful conversations with women and create resources that would allow them to see what else is possible. And it's really started with chronic illness. And I was stuck in Western medicine, taking lots of pills and continued to be sick without any real diagnosis. And so when I started to see a functional medicine doctor and work more with plant medicine and Ayurvedic practitioners, I started to get healthy. And I realized that I had been misdiagnosed and that it wasn't about taking painkillers and muscle relaxers and all this stuff that Western medicine pushes. It's really about the mind-body connection and how can we use our spiritual practice, our mindfulness, reducing stress and anxiety and inflammation in the body to help us heal. And so when I realized that I had been given so much information that had actually made me more sick, of course, my whole thing was, well, I want to give them information that's going to help them actually heal. I'm tired of this whole BS narrative that we're fed from a young age. And so I created the, the show from that 
talking to women who had also been on chronic illness journeys, uh, different female practitioners. And then it, it sort of evolved over time as I evolved over time. So I started sitting with plant medicine and doing ayahuasca and psilocybin and started having a lot of awarenesses within myself. And the sexuality piece came in during that because part of it was I felt really unsatisfied in my sex life. I felt very disconnected from my body. I didn't feel safe because of all of the sexual trauma I had experienced. Um, and I also just didn't know that I was able to ask for what I want. I didn't know that women's pleasure mattered and that it was okay to say, this feels good. I want more of that. Or can we try this or share my desires? And so I started playing in that space. And that's when I realized I'm bisexual and I'm interested in women and I started to explore that. And the more I explored my sexuality, the more I got into my feminine energy. And I moved from a state of constantly doing into being. And then that continued to open me spiritually. And so really for me, the merging of the two was just about me coming back to myself and learning to trust myself and be in my body and connect with myself and my desires and ask the hard questions. What do I want? What matters to me? What do I desire? How can I hold that vision and allow myself to feel what I want to feel without putting that shame or the stigmas that I have been taught by society and my environment that there's something wrong with me to think anything outside of the box? So that that's a lot. Yeah. <laughs> that is a lot. Wow. So healing yourself, medicine, again, becoming so much more self-aware that I love the fact that you realize, okay, I'm not being... I'm not sexually satisfied. You mentioned before the break that you had you were suffering from a low libido also. So your your sexuality, do you feel like it, you were stuck in a box with that even, you know, as you were growing into um the woman that you are that you you kind of stayed in a box with that also and didn't allow yourself to explore maybe bisexuality because maybe it wasn't being Kelly perfect or perfect Kelly. That you needed to be always with another man, with a man. It was never being with another woman, probably never even entered your mind. So, how did you even realize that? Yeah, it's a great question. I think so. I started masturbating when I was five. And I remember two instances. One, I, I walked into my mom's room and I was like, mom, look what I could do. <laughs> and I showed her, and I mean, you're a mom, so I'm sure this is hysterical, but she was like, okay, so we're not going to do that right now. And so I did that. And then I remember being on the, the little carpet in first grade when, you know, the teacher's reading to you and I had my hand down my pants playing with myself. And the teacher's like, okay, Kelly, if you want to deal with that, like you can go to the bathroom. But I, I shut down after that. Like I was completely disconnected from my body. I felt ashamed. I felt so ashamed. Like something's wrong with me. Like, oh, we don't do that. And uh, obviously I was five. So it wasn't like a conscious awareness, but I just knew, oh, we don't do that. That's not good. And so perfect Kelly doesn't do those things. So I didn't touch myself or engage sexually for so long. I didn't lose my virginity until I was going to college. I was just terrified of it and I didn't understand it. And I think that... The, the woman thing didn't really come into play until like a year and a half ago when I just started realizing that everything I believed to be true in my life was not true. And so I started questioning things on a much deeper level. And I thought, well, if take I don't through that, yeah, take us deeper into that. Yeah. Well, I thought, okay, if I don't have to be on TV and if I don't have to live like this and if I don't have to make other people happy, 
then what does that mean about every other part of my life where I'm just doing things to please people? What does that mean about my sexuality? What if I let myself feel something that I wouldn't let myself feel before? And I just went down this rabbit hole of possibilities. And I had made out with girls a few times in college when I was drunk on tequila. I didn't really think anything tequila of it. Does the, tequila does that. Tequila definitely does that. Yeah. Um, but I remember this one time, I probably was like 21 or 22 after college. And I was at this party and my girlfriend and I, girlfriend, not sexual girlfriend, but right. my girlfriends, she and I were sleeping in this bed at our friend's house together after the party was over and the next morning she I like roll over and she looks at me and she's like, do you realize you were like fondling me and cuddling me all night? <laughs> and I was like, excuse me. And she's like, yeah, I had to be like, Kelly, no, like we're not doing that. She's like, it's fine. I'm not upset. I just, do you know that you were doing that? And I was so drunk that I don't remember any of it, but I started thinking about these moments in my life where I tried to pursue things, but then I didn't go any further with them because you're not allowed to do that. And I always thought I would be married with a couple of kids by 25 and I would live the, you know, white picket fence dream and have the big girl career and everyone would love me and life would be great. And I just thought I don't have to live like that. So what else could I do? And so I shared with Connor, my boyfriend, um, Hey, I'm having feelings about women and I want to talk about this with you. And we just started to be in conversation and it turned into us being with other women together and me being alone with women, which was so eye-opening to me because as much as it was really hard allowing myself to feel things with the voice of shame and fear and anxiety in my head, my body very much wanted it and my heart wanted it. And it felt so natural and so nourishing to me on so many levels. It wasn't even just about the sex. It was really about being held, yeah, being held by another woman and feeling like I knew myself better through her because I was acknowledging her and I was seeing her in all of her beauty and how amazing she is and her personality and all these things that it also allowed me to show myself grace and to love myself deeper. And so it just, it opened me up and expanded me in ways I never thought were possible. And yeah, sex is great. And I always say, cool, orgasms for everyone. But for me, it's like so many layers deeper than that. And it's it's a coming home to myself and an acknowledging of myself that really allowed me to become more of me. That's really beautiful because I think that uh, given your personality, given your goals, given your focus, you do push forward that male energy. And sometimes we forget we're girls. Yes. And we need to push forward our feminine energy and embrace that, that it's not a sign of weakness. And I think that when we're, we feel like we're taking care of everything and we have to work so hard that we forget that we're women and we need to be held. And if it means being held by another woman to reflect whatever that energy is on you, then it's totally necessary to do that for our happiness and fulfillment. Mm -hmm. So let's talk about your relationship, you and Connor and the woman in your life. And how does that work? And yeah, how does that work for you? Yeah, it's interesting. It's, I feel like it's constantly evolving and changing now that none of us have ever been in this situation before, which is really interesting to navigate all the insecurity and the fear that comes up pretty regularly. Um, But Connor and I had been with some women and it was, you know, a one time, two time thing. And then 
everyone kind of moved on. The girls would like, oh, I'm dating someone and everything would just move on and we'd all just be friends. And then we found someone in January that we just really clicked with and we felt really safe together and we really enjoyed each other's company and it all just flowed and was super organic and we didn't really have to try. It just kind of fell into all of our laps. And so it's become a situation where it feels a lot more beyond sex. It feels very spiritually connected. She and I very much spe- uh, speak the same language, which is nice because we just really get each other. We have a lot of the same insecurities. And so there's lots of things that we get to work through together when they come when they come up. And so we see her regularly. We all talk. Um, we spend quite a bit of time together. Um And we've just been kind of navigating what feels good. What's too much? Did we go too far? Okay, scale it back. You learn along the way. But it's really been, you know, Connor and I from day one said we wanted to create our own rules. We didn't want to live by anyone else's expectations or standards. We didn't want to say, oh, we're in an open relationship or we're poly or anything like that. It was we'll just take it case by case and moment by moment and we'll do what feels good. And if something doesn't feel good, we'll have a conversation and we'll talk about our boundaries and see what makes sense. And so it's just a constant renegotiation renegotiation process of boundaries and desires and what feels good for everyone. And so we're in this place where it just feels really like nourishing and good. And I've gotten to a point where a lot of my insecurities and fears have melted away because Every time they come up, I deal with them. I feel feel into it. I allow myself to feel. I speak them out. I share with them what's going on. And then I just kind of move through it. And it's created such a sense of connection and trust with Connor and I. It's created such a sense of trust within myself. One of the biggest fears I have is abandonment. And so I've gotten to this point where I realize that him, you know, engaging sexually with someone else while I'm there doesn't mean he's going to leave me. It doesn't make her better than me. And at the same time, I get so much out of our connection and experience. So it's just in so many ways been such a beautiful lesson and experience and just nourishing in in a lot of levels. I think a lot of women would love to do that, or if they've had <laughs> thoughts of doing that, um, having that type of, let's just call it an open relationship, but you know, you're, it's with this woman in particular. Mm-hmm. And what would you suggest if somebody is in a monogamous relationship, but you're both on the same page is to have that honest conversation. Like this is because communication is the key to everything. I know that everybody's heard that before, but it truly, truly is. Everything starts with communication And as we've mentioned several times already today, self-awareness. So the more aware you are, the better you could communicate. As long as you're communicating with love in your heart, you're coming from a good place and there's respect. So if somebody is feeling like, if there are women listening to this who are like, yeah, I've kind of had those feelings, what would you suggest to them? I think the best thing to do is just be in conversation with your partner. Um, something that we started early on because I was so scared (laughs) was we would be having sex and I would talk about another woman while we were having sex. And for me, that helped because I could see how my desire and the turn on felt good to me rather than talking about it in a fear panic way of like, okay, what does this mean? Are you going to leave me for her? It was like in that moment of connection with him, I shared some of my deepest, darkest secrets and desires and it felt really good. So I allowed myself to feel good in those feelings. And what it showed me was that, okay, this is definitely something you want. And so then we took it to, um, 
okay, what are boundaries that we have? If we were to do this with someone, what would the boundaries be? And everyone gets to create their own boundaries. I don't own Connor. He doesn't own me. And we don't own anyone that we're with. So I, I wouldn't say like, you're not allowed to do this, but we have very clear boundary set where this is what I'm comfortable with. This is what I'm not comfortable with. And at the same time, boundaries can change from one day to the next. Something that you think you're going to love, for example, like I'll just use some people would say, yes, my boyfriend can go sleep with another woman by himself. So you talk about it, he goes and does it. And then you have a panic attack and freak out and you realize, okay, no, I'm not okay with that. Actually, that's a boundary for me. You don't often know until you try. So then you renegotiate the boundaries. Okay, actually, I'm okay with if you have sex with someone and I'm there. That feels good. Okay, that's where we are. And that feels really nice. And maybe we explore something further down the line. But right now, that's what feels good for everyone. Um, So just being in constant communication about that and being really honest and not allowing someone to talk you into doing something that you don't want to do. That's what really gets this very messy. Right. I agree. Having, knowing what your expectations are, owning, owning what you want to get out of the relationship, because as you said, you don't own Connor. He doesn't own you. Neither one of you own anybody else. It's a free, free world, but you need to be on the same page if you're going to enter this situation. Mm -hmm. So do you talk to other women about this when they come to work with you? Do you have this come up as a situation and now you can talk about it with a lot of freedom? Yes. I talk to a lot of women about this. I I think it's funny. I never thought I would be talking about sex for a living and yet here we are. Um, I have a lot of women come to me who are in the same boat where they didn't know this was even a thing for them. They listened to my show. They started asking themselves questions. They're like, oh shit, I think I want to have sex with a woman. Then I go tell my boyfriend and he either is like, yes, let's do this. Or he panics and freaks out and thinks that he's not good enough. And now you're going to leave him for a woman. I've had that happen so many times. And so my, my intention in all of this is just to be honest about, like you keep saying, having self-awareness, asking better questions, getting clear on your desires, allowing yourself to feel what you want to feel. And if you want to create this dynamic in a relationship, it's going to take a very solid foundation to make it happen. And if something Connor and I talk about all the time, if you are doing this to save your relationship, it's not going to save you. It's, it's like somebody having a baby in a marriage when the relationship <laughs> is crumbling. It's not going to work. Correct. So you have to have a very solid foundation. You have to be very clear. It doesn't mean you have to know everything you want and don't want because look, like I have been incredibly inconsistent in our entire relationship with this girl we have been with because it has been scary and then I'm okay. And then I feel shame. And then I'm like, I want this. And then that's too much for me. And you know, the back and forth. And so I'm finally at a point where I I don't feel as inconsistent, but that is part of the game. That is part of what you're signing up for. So if you don't have a solid foundation in your relationship, it is going to really mess you up. How much, one of the things that you talk about is how sexuality is the catalyst for growth. Mm -hmm. I completely agree with you because I was stifled until I got divorced. And then I went hog wild having to, you know, lots of sex um, because I was, let's just say deprived of it in my twenties because I got married at 24 and you know, didn't know what was out there. So I started exploring and I grew tremendously in such a short period of time because I wasn't aware until I became aware. 
And, you know, I, I lost a lot of friends and blah, blah, blah. And people didn't like me talking about all the boys that I dated and was out with. And I lost all my friends who were married and blah, 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 all that stuff. Sort of like what you went through in your twenties, just saying goodbye to your old life, new to your own life and, and being aware of it. But even as you're speaking with about this, this new woman in your life since January, do you feel like you have grown leaps and bounds since January? Oh my, I'm a different person. Like, Tell me who you were before her and who you are now. I had the biggest stick up my ass. Okay. okay. I, I'm sure you can relate to this. You know, when you've worked through something and you think you figured it out and then you have a aha moment where you realize you definitely haven't figured it out. Yes. That's where I was in January. I met this girl and my whole world got rocked because I thought I had worked through so many insecurities, so many fears of abandonment, all this stuff to only see that I had so many more layers to go through with it. And this was the perfect scenario for me to experience all of that with and to work with it because it was right in front of me. It wasn't just a concept or an idea. It was literally playing out in front of me. There's another woman that my partner could choose. And I got to sit with, it's okay if he abandoned me because I don't even believe in abandonment anymore. I don't believe we can be abandoned if we're not abandoning ourselves. I had betrayed myself my whole life and abandoned myself by choosing everyone else and doing everything for everyone else. That of course I have a fear of abandonment. I had never chosen myself. And so where I am now- I love that. I love that. Can you say that one more time? That's huge, huge. Yeah. Yeah. So I had betrayed myself my entire life by choosing everyone else and listening to everyone else and doing for them. And I don't believe in abandonment because if you don't abandon yourself, you can't be abandoned. And for the first time, I'm choosing me. And so even if the worst thing happened and everyone left me and it was this whole big blow up, is it that bad? I believe one, that's probably what was meant to happen to begin with. And two, I didn't abandon myself. I chose myself. I asked for pleasure. I created desire. I co-created the space in which that was possible. And what happens, happens. So I choose to not live with this fear that I'm going to constantly be left, whether it's by my partner or my friends or my parents, none of it. It's like, no, well, if I don't abandon myself, I'm fine. So such an empowering feeling. And when I started the show, I said, this is a show about educating, empowering, and inspiring. So you sort of educated yourself on everything because by becoming self-aware. Then how empowered do you feel like you that you could take this to the moon now, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, I feel, I just feel very true to myself. I feel very aligned with what I want and what makes sense for me. And I know that it's going to be difficult at times. I know that I'm going to be on my period and I'm going to be hormonal and I'm going to be needy and be like, I don't want you to hang out with her. Please don't leave me, you know, and that's going to happen. And that's all okay. That's part of the process. But if I can always come back to myself and know that I have myself, that I choose myself, that I am my priority and I take care of me and honor what I want and what I need, then everything else will happen as it's meant to. And I just take very deep solace and grace in that fact. Um, And it feels really peaceful in my body to be in that space. And when you're feeling this um, peacefulness, don't you feel that everything else outside of your sexuality, because you are in the place that you need to be, because you are sexually aligned, because you're being honest with yourself, because you're being authentically you, 
that everything else you're creating around you is is beautiful and blossoms. Oh, 100%. The rest of my life is completely different because of this. I'm a better partner, dog mom, leader, uh, CEO of my company. I feel so much more in flow and true to what is meant for me. I don't try and force things. I just canceled a couple programs I was creating because I saw myself going back to this old pattern of forcing and doing and achieving. And I'm like, oh, that's not Kelly 2.0. She doesn't do that. So we're going to go over here and I'm actually going to plan a trip to Tulum and I'm going to go hang out with my girlfriends and I'm going to be in the flow of my life because that is where I choose to be. And I know that I can still be, you know, a very successful entrepreneur and run a very uh, high level company without all of that old noise and stuff that's not for me. I can be in my feminine flow, choosing myself and relaxing back into who I am without forcing and trying and making things happen. Kelly, this is so beautiful. I want to share this message with everybody. I'm so happy that you found this in your life. I it's And I know it's just going to keep getting better and better and blossoming more and more and more where you learn about yourself more because you're actually looking at yourself right in the mirror and saying, I got you. I got you. We are not going to fake it anymore. We're just going to take it for the rest of our life and keeping it real. Because when we don't do that, it just feels not right, unaligned. Yeah. So I was going to ask you, um, because we've been talking about being authentic throughout this entire show, but what does it mean to you? I feel like you've already answered this question, (laughs) but what does it mean to you to live a fearlessly authentic life? I think it just comes down to aligning with who you are and choosing yourself and trusting in, I believe everything happens for a reason. And when you choose yourself and you choose alignment, everything around you will fall into place however it's meant to. And that allows me to be fearless because I know that alignment and trust in me creates abundance and it magnifies and it brings in so much goodness into your life. And so you don't have to come from a place of fear when that's how you choose to live. Perfect. How can people get in touch with you? Um, Where are you on Instagram, Facebook, your website, and so on? Yeah. On Instagram, I'm just Kelly M. Tennant. And then my website is kellytennant.com. Yeah. And you can slide into the DMs, ask me questions. I'm happy to support. Um, And my my email address is right on my Instagram if you want to connect with me there. Okay, great. And also your two shows, you've got the The Kelly Kelly show show. and then... Okay, babe. And that's the show I do with Connor and we talk all about our relationship. So (laughs) Wow. That must be some juicy stuff. Oh, uh, yeah, it's pretty juicy. Yeah. Okay. So, and we can find that on Spotify, any place you listen to podcasts. Yes. Okay. Kelly Tennant, thank you so, so much for sharing all of this great information um, and being so fearlessly authentic on the show. And everybody, please rate and review. I would really appreciate it. And thank you so much for joining us again for another episode of Fearlessly Authentic. Thank you for tuning in this week to Fearlessly Authentic. Please listen again next Thursday at 12 noon Pacific Time and 3 p.m. Eastern Time for another edition with your host, Jody Harrison Bauer, on the Voice America Empowerment Channel and unlock the keys to a more powerful you.